Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 9, and we are recording on Tuesday, September 26th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. Um, I know we were we were just talking about the unbelievable heat that we are experiencing in the Midwest. Oh my gosh, I hate it so much. It's been, in case people aren't aware, in Chicago, it's been 90 degrees. We've literally hit record highs for a week and it's insane to me. Like it's always like relatively warm in September. Like I'm not expecting it to be 50 degrees yet or anything like that, but 90 is insane for September. And it's warmer than it was in August. I don't think we yes. had a single a single day in August where it hit 90 degrees and now we're getting them all at the tail end of September. And I'm not here for it. My hair doesn't like it. <laughs> it just <laughs> frizzes up in the humidity and the heat. So I just come into work looking like cousin it. <laughs> yeah. And it's ugh. I'm I'm not I am not a fan of this of this weather. <laughs> Yeah, I like commute and I like walk like from the train station and like all this stuff. And I'm just like disgusting every day. And I'm like, okay, look, this was fine in July. It's not fine in September. At this point, I don't expect to be wearing like full on sweaters yet, but I should at least be able to walk outside and not be disgusting. So, if, but tomorrow it's supposed to switch immediately. I, I think by the time people are actually hearing this, it's going to be like normal weather. But I checked it's going to be up again like this time next week. Oh, don't tell me that. I was I'm so sorry. happy. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the weather's fault, not mine. <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's get out of the episode. Um, so to kick things off, we actually are going to jump into our first sponsor, which is actually a Book Riot related sponsor, uh, and that is Lit Chat. Now, Lit Chat is a card game that Book Riot has created along with um, Abrams Books. Um, this is basically a card game where you get to talk about books and reading with other people. Um, it is a deck of cards, 50 cards, and you are given questions on each of these cards and these questions uh, invite you to explore your individual reading habits and experiences and to imagine yourself through the lenses of characters and stories. Um, you can answer it like with your book club, with your best friends, your family, classmates. Um, and it's just sort of like a fun get to know each other sort of card game. Um yeah, so we figured, you know, to sort of kick things off and to introduce people to this new uh, game, we would play it for a little bit here on the podcast. All right. Well, I have my card picked out of the deck already, and I think there was actually, you might have actually done a video on this topic recently now that I think about it. Oh, well, that's great, because that means I'm already prepared. <laughs> I could be wrong, though. It could be a Book Riot post, but I feel like... I feel like I've heard this question from Book Riot recently. Is there a book you have never read but tell people that you have? And Ooh. why? Oh, man. I am... Oh, I'm trying to... No, okay, I have to think about this for a second. Okay, so it wasn't one of your videos. <laughs> no, it was not one of my videos, but it, it's possible that it was someone else's. I think this actually what might have been a video that was done, but it wasn't mine. Um, I Okay, so I'm going to say no, because I generally don't lie about reading books but I will say that there have been times where I will say I will talk about a book as if I finished it but I may have not actually finished the book if that makes <laughs> sense it totally makes sense and as a librarian I use that method a lot to talk about books with people because there may be some books that someone's talking about and I'm like oh yeah I've I, yeah I've totally read that or the other thing that I do is I'm really good at like recommending books for people without necessarily reading them. I think especially like if you're in sort of the book world, you hear about a lot of books and you hear other people talking about books. So you can get a general sense of like different types of books without reading it yourself. So there have definitely been times where people are like, oh, I'm looking for this kind of book. And I'm like, oh, I think you'll really like this one. And I talk about it as if I've read it. And I'm pretty I never say that I've read it, but I'm pretty sure people assume that I've read all these books that I'm recommending. <laughs> and now the mystery has been. I know. Hopefully none of these people are listening to the podcast. <laughs> I'll keep your secret. <laughs> All right. Um, so the one that I've picked out is, do you have a favorite place to read or does it change depending on what you're reading? Ooh, 
Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I don't... I have a few different places, and it... It doesn't depend on what I'm reading. Um, it may depend on other factors. Most of them are within my apartment. I don't generally venture outside to read. Um, I do have, we do have a couple of, uh, like, they're not deck chairs. They're, they're like, uh, uh, what are, what are they called? The camping chairs or the foldable chairs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're I'm, talking about. Uh, like the like the foldable lawn chair thing. Yeah, lawn chairs, and we have a couple of those out on our patio. And if I have the in, the incredible fortune of having a day off from work when the weather is nice, I like to grab a can of Lacroix and sit outside with a stack of books on the patio, provided that there aren't too many spiders out there. But that I can only really do that when the weather's nice, and I do I will do a lot of reading on our kind of tiny living room couch, and that I th- I I use that reading that as my reading spot the most. But that's also because there aren't a ton of other reading spots in the apartment, and it could be that you know my boyfriend has you know he's got the baseball game on, and I want to be there for the baseball game, but I also have reading that I want to do so I can kind of do both. Sometimes he's gone to bed early and that's like the only other place in the apartment where I can read without disturbing him. So, but I'll read where, whatever, wherever. It just kind of depends on what's available at that moment. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely know how that goes. I have um, a hammock that I didn't put up this summer because you know circumstances whatever we were like there was like work being done on our deck and then by the time it was done I just never ended up putting it up but I love my hammock but the problem is is that I definitely nap in my hammock too so like (laughs) there have been a lot of times where I'll go outside and I'll read and I'll get a little bit of reading done but then I'll fall asleep so (laughs) oh I'm super jealous I want a hammock maybe maybe with a bigger apartment (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right um so again that was Lit Chat. Uh, there are actually four different categories of cards. We won't go through all of them because obviously we don't have enough time. There could probably be an entire episode where you just play this game. Um, but the four different categories are the reader's way, uh, which is questions about reading habits, preferred methods, and who you are as a reader. Uh, the second category is memoirs of a book lover, which are questions for sharing book-related memories and milestones. Uh, op-ed are questions to tease out literary opinions, favorites, and least favorites. And then choose your own adventure, which are questions that ask you to choose books and characters for hypothetical situations. So if you are interested, uh, I believe that they're already on sale or no, they go on sale in the beginning of October. So you can actually pre-order Lit Chat right now um, or you can, you know, just wait until it's on sale. But you can head to bookriot.com slash Lit Chat and you can check that out for more information um, and you can also get a sticker. I believe that it, if you pre-order uh, the game, you get a free sticker as well. So uh, yeah, definitely check that out. If you are interested in card games or bookish games or anything along those lines. Um, I was thinking about this because I recently, like I think I mentioned in an earlier episode, like I went to Madison and we were playing basically like 20 questions type of situation or just like asking each other like fun questions. And I'm just thinking about how much fun this would have been if we had on like our little like couple of hours to Madison Drive. Yeah, this would this would be a great one if you've got a long car trip coming up. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So we can jump into uh, the first bit of news that we wanted to talk about. This is actually follow up from a previous episode. We mentioned uh, earlier in another episode that uh, former President Bill Clinton and James Patterson are teaming up to write a thriller. And we had talked about how they were basically already like talking to different uh, studios and whatnot to adapt it. And I had assumed that it was going to be a movie, although I don't know why I made that assumption. I don't know if they actually said that, although I'm sure they were talking to movie studios as well. Uh, But it was recently announced that Showtime has decided to adapt the thriller. Um, It's called The President is Missing, and the book isn't going to be published until 2018. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think they've said like when the show would be released. Um, But there is actually a lot more information that came out with the announcement of the TV show. Um, So the way that they describe this, it's basically uh, a thriller that 
only they they they're uh pitching it as like a thriller that only a president would know um it's you know the way that the showtime president talks about it is uh it's president clinton uh with fiction's most gripping storyteller promises a kinetic experience um i'm really interested in this now i was sort of like skeptical i mean i was interested in the beginning because it's just funny to think of like former president Bill Clinton and James Patterson uh, writing stories together. But the fact that Showtime picked it up actually made me um, more interested in it just because the types of shows that Showtime is into is not at all what I was expecting this TV show movie story to be. Um, I was expecting it to be, I'm, to be honest, kind of cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> and Showtime doesn't really do cheesy. So now I'm like intrigued about what this is actually going to be like as a story. I don't know if the, book is going to be any good i mean who knows uh but i i feel like the tv show now has some more credibility behind it yeah i i definitely agree and i was wondering the same thing you know how will the the book versus the tv show you know how will that compare and of course we have to wait until 2018 before we even get the book but it it does pique my interest that that Showtime was was the one the one to pick up the rights to the story. So I we will we will keep everyone updated as more James Patterson news comes out about this because I'm sure there will be plenty of news but, uh, leading up to the book and the eventual TV show. Oh, I'm yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's that's just the one piece of follow up that we wanted to uh, provide for you guys in this episode. But yeah, I I. I don't know. There's nothing more I can really say about it other than I'm definitely more intrigued than I was the last time we talked about it. <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump into our next sponsor, which is an upcoming book called Trell by Dick Lair. And if that name sounds familiar, he is the co-author of the book Black Mass with, uh, oh, I, now I'm forgetting the the person's name. Is it Whitey Bulger? Whitey Bulger? Is that from from Black Mass? I am actually not sure. Okay. I think it's, if, I'm assuming I've got all of my references correct. This is the book that was ultimately turned into a movie starring Johnny Depp, I believe, about Boston Mafia. Anyway, <laughs> Dick Lair has a new young adult novel coming out that was inspired by the true story of a young man's false imprisonment for murder and the people who fought to free him. It is based on a, on the true story of the Sean Drumgold case in which took place in Boston and the story uh, the way the story goes, on uh, in the summer, in the late 1980s, there was a 12-year-old African-American girl who was standing outside talking to her friends when she was the innocent victim of gang-related gunfire. And amid the public outcry, there was an immediate manhunt on to catch the murderer, and a young African-American man was quickly apprehended and charged and wrongly convicted of the crime. Now, the author, Dick Lair, who was a former reporter for the Boston Globe, he helped investigate this case for the newspaper, and then he turned his experiences and his in his reporting into a fictionalized story, which is Trell. And it's a novel about the daughter of an, of an imprisoned man who persuades a reporter and a lawyer to help prove her father's innocence. And they go into what pieces of evidence might have been overlooked. Can they get to the truth before someone, before a dangerous person from the neighborhood gets to them? It's a really, it's a really compelling and, uh, very uh, a compelling and realistic uh, no young adult novel with themes of false imprisonment, search for justice, which of course have been big topics in the real world outside of the literary one. But uh, again, that book is called Trell by Dick Lair. All right. Um, so the main news story slash discussion that we wanted to have was about this Kickstarter that we had heard about, which is for a movie uh, based around the Miss Fisher's murder mystery series. Um, so this is a series that I first knew about because of the TV show that was created in Australia. Um, and it's based on the novels by the Australian author, Carrie Greenwood. Um, and so in this, you are following uh, this sort of, rich and stylish woman named Miss Fisher. It takes place in the 1920s. Miss um, Fisher's Murder Mysteries was a, the t name of the TV show and it ran for three seasons um, 
on Australia or in Australia and then was eventually picked up worldwide. So it's pretty well known, I think, among especially among people who are big mystery fans. Um, and so there was this Kickstarter that was created uh, to make one of the books into a movie. And it's. Okay, so it's an Australian kick, uh, company that is kickstarting this. That's the first thing. Um, their goal was to raise around 250000 Australian dollars, which is close to 200000 American dollars. Um, they've already surpassed the goal. Um, they're at... Uh, 455,000 US dollars as of this recording. Um, and so they've all, yeah, they're way past the goal. But there's so many things around this project that, at least for me personally, don't, doesn't completely make sense. Um, I mean, in general, I'm very skeptical of Kickstarters around movies, um, unless it's coming from someone who is already sort of established in terms of like production companies or directors or writers or something along those lines. Um, they provide a lot of information in terms of like how the money's going to get used the way that most Kickstarters and Indiegogos do. Uh, but part of me is like wondering what this company's sort of background is in terms of filmmaking. Like what do they know about making a movie? Like how do they have previous experience? These are things that I'm not really sure about, especially since it's an Australian company. It's one that um, is not as well known here in the United States. Um, but then also like things like actors and the quality of the movie and the writing and all of these different things like this could be like, just because they have a lot of money doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be a good quality Kickstarter um, or good quality film. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just such an interesting sort of situation that's happening here. And then also just the fact that someone wants to make a Miss Fisher's movie. Um, already has. I mean, obviously, there was a like we said, there was already a TV show. Um, so the idea of making it a movie, like, is it really necessary? And then also, is this really a great project to be taking on? Um we're going to have a link in the show notes to the Kickstarter in case you guys are interested in checking it out. Um, but we're also going to have a link to this blog post that uh, was shared. I believe it was shared on the Book Riot contributor Slack. Um, and it's titled like why we're not supporting the Miss Fisher movie Kickstarter. And it goes into a lot of really interesting just points about why this isn't a good idea. Yeah, I I'm was just kind of looking over the Kickstarter page while you were talking, and I I believe that in some instances, and I don't know how far this will eventually this will go in the future, but I believe in some ways the entertainment industry is kind of moving towards this almost like a patron of the arts model, like, you know, you, you fund or you back the, the projects that you are interested in seeing. You know, artists are doing Kickstarters to raise money to create a new album. So if you know, if you enjoy the, the artist, you donate money, and then they produce the album, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I believe we're going to be seeing more of this in the future to some extent. However, what I don't what what's kind of rubbing me the wrong way is if when you look at their updates and they talk about the new goals that they've reached and they say if we reach this mark we will add an extra scene between these two characters especially for our crowdfunding fans and it doesn't feel like the movie's being made for the books for the story it it's be it feels like it's very much like a mark the movie itself is like a marketing tactic just to raise money like the movie doesn't doesn't feel like that's the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to raise is to raise money for whatever reason it just doesn't feel right it and i see this with um with podcasters or certain or other people who use patreon kind of the same thing like you know like, hey, if you, you know, you donate this much and I'm going to add your name to the credits as a executive co-producer or something like that. It just there's something about it that that rings false to me. Like it's empty, like empty promises in the in the search for more money 
or it just it just doesn't sound like it's going to be a quality production. Now, I have not seen the TV show. I know I know it's on I think it's on Netflix. Um, the the TV show that ran for a few years. So I yeah. have I haven't seen it. I don't know what you know, I I don't know what the quality of that was, at least in terms of, you know, production and and acting and stuff like that. But this one, it just, I don't know, it just, it does not feel like it's run by a group of professionals. Yeah, that's, that's like, my main problem. Like, I'm in general, skeptical of all Kickstarters and like Indiegogo <laughs> campaigns and things like that, unless it's like literally someone that I know from something else. Um, and so it provides some more like credibility to it. Um, the one example that I was thinking of is like the Veronica Mars movie, which uh, Rob Thomas, the creator of the show, started as a Kickstarter. And I think part of that was because it was a thing that they wanted to get made, but they couldn't convince studios that it was actually like there was interest in it. Um, so they started off just sort of like kickstarting it and it like got funded within literally hours and then it got picked up into a full length fi- or it got like made into the full length film based like with a studio and things like that. Um but even that one I didn't donate to because I was still very much like, yeah, I know that you are the creator behind the show, but how do I know that this is actually going to be worth my money? Um, there's also been like so many in- instances of like products and games and whatnot being fully funded on Kickstarter and then never coming to fruition. Um like things like this always feel like a gamble because there's a very good chance that like they'll get all this money and unless they have experience making a movie, um, they might not know how to utilize it well in order to make them get the movie done. And so there's a very good chance that like they could fully fund this and they could start filming and they could start doing all these things and then they run out of money and then what happens, you know? Yeah, definitely. So like, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, it's fine. It's just like things like that always just like slightly, like I'm, a very cautious person especially when it comes to spending money so i think that that's just like my natural inclination uh but even just like the fact that just basic things like i don't know like i don't know how trustworthy this company is or anything along those lines like i don't know why or why like my thing is like why should i trust them that's always my question like why should i believe that you will actually get this movie made especially because if they don't have experience doing it, like I was looking at their, I didn't like Google the company, which I probably should have done, uh, but I was just looking and this is the first Kickstarter that this company is doing. So they don't even really have that much experience with like running a Kickstarter and like how everything sort of goes down after that, um, which already makes me slightly skeptical. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I think, I think I've contributed to two Kickstarters in my lifetime. One was LeVar Burton talking about bringing back Reading Rainbow, yes. which I, I was like, here, take my money. And the other one was to, to reboot Mystery Science Theater 3000, which was run by, which was started, I think, by a couple of the original um, the original cast members. If you don't know what Mystery Science Theater is, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's riffing on really horrible science fiction and fantasy and horror movies, and it's hilarious. And and a couple of years ago, they ran a kicks. They ran a Kickstarter or some kind of fundraising campaign to bring back Mystery Science Theater because it's been off the. It's been off. They haven't been. They hadn't been doing new episodes since 2000, and it's been off the air itself since like 2004, 2005, something like that. So, I am a huge mystery science theater nerd, and so I immediately, I immediately gave like 20 bucks to that because that that to me was a was a worthwhile <laughs> use of my money. But I, nor, yeah, this this one's ringing all kinds of bad bells for me. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm very skeptical of this. And then that's not even getting into I know you mentioned the the blog post why we're not supporting the the Miss Fisher movie Kickstarter. And that and that went into so many ex, into a lot of a lot of information about how problematic the books are and how problematic the show was in terms of racial representation and stuff like that. So um, for listeners, we had not read any of the Miss Fisher books. And so we were kind of curious, okay, you know, how does, 
how does the book compare to the TV show? Are the books themselves problematic, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and I think we safely can conclude that, yeah, they are kind of problematic. And I, Rincey, I am dying to hear about the book that you chose, because it sounds like you picked the worst one. Okay, so, I mean, we should say this, I, or at least I should say this up front. Like, uh, again, we this is our first one, this our first experience reading these books. And I don't want to, like, drag anyone like the series down because I know that they are actually well loved by a lot of people um, but like legitimately I think I picked like I went on Goodreads afterwards to like double check on like what other people were saying about this book when I was in the middle of it and it seems to be like this is the one that a lot of people who love the series don't actually like this book um, so the one I read was called Blood and Circuses and in this one um, this person uh, who in the book is referred to as a hermaphrodite obviously now Uh, We refer to people like that as intersex. Um, They are murdered in this apartment and it turns out that they were part of a circus. Um, And so Miss Fisher goes undercover to the circus um, to figure out what exactly happened. Um, So in the story, Miss Fisher uh, becomes... um, I don't remember what they're called. She like rides the horses and does like acrobats around the horse and things like that. Um, And so Miss Fisher in this story is really unlikable. Like she is very unhappy with the fact that she has to like pretend like she's poor because like she can't be known as like this rich lady in the circus because why would she be in the circus? Um, And she like has to like she's not able to take a shower or take a bath every day um and she has to like sleep in the girl's tent and eat all this food that she doesn't like so there was already that happening um and then there was like a weird scene where she has uh sex with a clown which is really really awkward like i was reading this on the train and i could tell like i was making that face like when you're really grossed out face and i'm sure people thought it was crazy uh because it was such an awkward scene like they talked about paint like the clown had his face painted still and he had like they talked about like paint getting on different parts of the body it was weird it was really weird as a situation <laughs> i'm making that really disgusted face right now just so you know so i mean i mean this was I, I i will honestly say that it was not as bad as i thought it was going to be especially as soon as i found out like they reveal pretty early on that the character who was murdered was intersex um So I was like bracing myself for like really problematic things to occur. And while there are characters in here who say things that are like problematic, um, it's like pointed out that they it is problematic. Like they're like, you can't be talking about people like that, like that way. Like they would refer to this person who is charactered as like it and things like that. Um, And then other people would be like, you know, that's just would say like point it out and be like, no, you know, don't talk about them that way and things like that. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't so much that it, this book was super offensive, but it was just really weird. And I, uh, I I went on Goodreads and other people agreed with me. So I felt a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, the one the one I read, and I have I I am enjoying the mystery. It's, so far, no one's been murdered. It's a uh, it's a uh, takes place on a cruise ship, and there have been previous jewel thefts from the from people who have been who have been on the cruise, and so they bring Miss Fisher on board so that she can figure out who it is. And that the mystery in and of itself is, you know, it's interesting and they have, you know, fun historical details. They've got really good descriptions of the food, which were making me very hungry <laughs> and kind of wishing I could, I could hang out on this cruise ship because the food is food sounded fabulous. So that in and of itself was not, you know, that's a, that is a normal that's a, that's a normal little mystery right there. Um, my issue is that there were it's like. Every so often in the book, there's just something that gets that gets interjected and I and it takes me out of the story and I go, eh, that's you know what? I that's not really that that's not really appropriate or that that's that's a little off. Um and I know that the books take place in the nineteen twenties, but I think there can be an argument made for just because it's in the nineteen twenties doesn't mean that all of these things have to be included. Like, for example, there's um there's a scene where there's a masquerade ball, and they talk about how the other characters are dressing up, and Miss Fisher dresses up as a Chinese woman. So automatically, I'm like, uh. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And she t- talks about having to go get white makeup. And I'm like, uh. 
And then there's another person who she dresses up as an Indian princess and buys tan makeup for her. And she and that she talks about how she has these cast markings on her arm. And she, you know, she has the traditional Indian dress. There's a professor who studied with the native New Zealand people. And she has some of their garments that she wears as a costume. There's another person who dresses up with a giant turban. And I'm like, already, I'm like, Good Lord, you know, I understand that this was the thing to do in the 20s, or this may have been acceptable, but these books weren't written in the 1920s. And I'm like, can we not? You know, does it play a huge part in the actual story? No. Is, does it need to be, does it need to be there? And is it worth, you know, kind of looking at with a critical eye? Yeah, I think it's worth, I think it's worth taking a look at and talking about, you know, what this does to the story and whether or not it, you know, whether or not it should be in there. There's also a lot of othering of the native New Zealand people that they talk about a lot because there are some of those people that work as crew members on the ship. And it's, there's very much like a colonial attitude and just, yeah, very, very much in, in, in fetishizing this, this other native, they use the word savage culture, which I'm like, can we not? So the mystery, like I said, the mystery in and of itself is very interesting. If, you know, if you're able to just focus on the mystery and if the problematic things, if you can, you know, move past them, I would say, you know, give the, give the series a try. If you like historical mysteries, if these problematic things can pull you out of the story, like they did for me, you can probably find some better ones. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard. I think it all obviously depends on your point of view and what you can handle. Like, I know for me, like even reading books um, from like the Victorian era, like English novels um, can be really hard for me because there'll be like Indian characters in there. I'm of Indian descent um, and they'll like the way that they talk about them and the way they describe them like really bothers me and I just know I can't finish those books and those are books written in those time periods so you can make the excuse of like oh they didn't know better I'm using air quotes around that phrase (laughs) but it it just it bothers me so so much that I just can't even read those books now yeah so I think I mean ultimately where for me where this stands am I going to read another one of these books no probably not am I going to watch the tv show or this movie if it ever gets funded no probably not (laughs) yeah I don't know. It's it's just one of those situations. Uh, I, I in general, Kickstarter is just like I said, bother me, and I'm in the same boat. I probably won't be picking up another one of these books just because it didn't really do much in order to bring me in. Although, again, I will admit that I probably picked up the worst one. Uh, but yeah, I'm just always so skeptical of like any sort of Kickstarters around movies and TV shows, just because there are so many other ways that you can get funding. I mean, it is nice that like if you think about it. People can, you know, create things that they would never have been able to create before, like obviously like taking down the gatekeepers and whatnot. But sometimes situations like this, I'm like, does do you need to be kickstarting it in order for it to get made? And like it sometimes it just feels like you're taking advantage of a fan base that already exists. Yep, I I agree. I think that that pretty much sums me up, too. All right. Um, So let's move on to our second sponsor for the episode. Um, So we've got Copycat by Alex Lake. In this story, um, you are following this character named Sarah Havenant. Uh, An old friend points out to her that there are actually two Facebook profiles in her name. And so she decides to look it up. And one of them is one she recognizes, which is hers. Uh, The other one she has never seen before. But everything in it is really accurate. It has recent photos of her and her friends, uh, photos of her and her husband, and even her and her kids. Uh, It even has a photo of her new kitchen, which was taken inside her house. Uh, She is bemused, angry, and slightly concerned, you know, who would be able to do this and why. But it soon turns out that this is actually just the beginning. And it is only now almost as though someone has been watching and waiting for her to find the profile that her problems really start. So again, that is Copycat by Alex Lake. All right. So this week for new releases, I had such a hard time narrowing it down. There were so many interesting ones coming out. So I've got a few that I'm going to go into in 
detail. And then I've got a few other mentions that I just, I had to throw in there. So the first one that um, that I picked was After the Eclipse, A Mother's Murder and a Daughter's Search by Sarah Perry. That comes out this week, um, actually technically today, since today is the 26th, so it'll already be out by the time you guys are listening. And so this is a kind of a true crime memoir mashup. To me, it sounds a little bit like The Fact of a Body by Alexandra... Oh, gosh, I sh- her last name is... It's very long, but you guys know which book we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Fact of a Body. And so it kind of blends the two. And it, when the author was 12, she saw a partial eclipse of the sun. So we all know what that looks like since many of us experienced the eclipse last month. And she took that to be a sign of good fortune for her and her mother, Crystal. But a couple of days later, her mother, Crystal, was murdered in their home just a few feet from Sarah's bedroom. The killer escaped. It took the police 12 12 years to find him. So Sarah grew up, came into adulthood, struggling with all these issues of abandonment and police interrogations and rebuilding her life. And she would and she would dream about when about all of her questions being answered through trial and a conviction. But after that trial, her questions only grew. And so she wanted to really understand who her mother was as a person and not just who she was in those final hours before she was killed. So she begins her own personal investigation that takes her back to Maine um, and takes her into her mother's life. And this is a really beautifully written memoir. It's a beautiful memorial. It's a true crime story. And it sounds fascinating. On the Book Riot Insiders, on, I first heard about this on the New Releases Index, and Liberty had put... Um, she had put a blurb and she said it's an amazing read. She did give a trigger warning for it just because it is a very, very heart-wrenching, very difficult book to read. But if, you, you know, if you're okay reading, reading really tough personal reads, this would be a really good one. So again, that is After the Eclipse, A Mother's Murder and a Daughter's Search by Sarah Perry. And then the next book, which also comes out this week, is There's Someone Inside Your House by Stephanie Perkins, who is the who is the author of the book Anna and the French Kiss, super popular young adult romance novel. And in this book, it's also young adult, but she kind of takes a turn. It's kind of a young adult version of Scream. And the the book follows the main character, Makani Young, who is from Hawaii, but she comes to live with her grandma in Nebraska. So big adjustment there. And so she's trying to adjust to life and haunted by her past in Hawaii, which is obviously secret. We don't know exactly what happened. And then one by one, the students of her high school town begin to die in a series of gruesome murders, each with each in a more and more grotesque fashion. And as the hunt intensifies for the killer, Makani is forced to confront her dark secrets and her dark past and how that all connects. So, so yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like a fun, fun young adult serial killer thriller. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. I really love Stephanie Perkins. I've read all of her books and I'm super excited about this one. Yeah. I've heard some really good stuff from other YA authors on Twitter that said this one's a really, really fun one. So I'm definitely, going to be picking that one up soon. So again, that there's some, that the the title is called "There's Someone Inside Your House" by Stephanie Perkins, and then the last one that I'm picking comes out next week. So on October third, it is also a young adult novel called "13 Minutes" by Sarah Pinbro. And if that name sounds familiar, she wrote the super successful Behind Her Eyes, which came out at the beginning of this year, which if I'm pretty sure at least one of us has mentioned it on the show already. If you haven't read it and like psychological thrillers, you definitely need to go read that one. Um, But this one is her young adult uh, debut. And the kind of tagline says these is they say you should keep your friends close and your enemies closer. But when you're a teenage girl, it's hard to tell them apart. So the main character is Natasha. Uh, says she doesn't remember how she ended up in the icy water that night, but she does know this. It wasn't an accident, and she was not suicidal. Her two closest friends are acting strangely, so she turns to Becca, who is her best friend that she dumped years before when she became popular, 
But Natasha has to turn to Becca now to help her figure out what happened. So kind of has a little bit of, sounds like has a little bit of We Were Liars thrown in there. And Natasha's sure that her friends love her, but that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't try to kill her. And I just love Sarah Pinborough. So I am super excited for this one to come out. And again, that is 13 Minutes by Sarah Pinborough. And I could not finish the new releases without mentioning, A, Stephen King and Owen King's new book, Sleeping Beauties, comes out today. And that, I mean, has been all over the place. I actually get to see Stephen King and Owen King live in Milwaukee on Saturday. They're doing a book talk in Milwaukee. I have tickets. My boyfriend and I have tickets. We're like in the third row. And I'm so excited. I get to breathe the same oxygen as Stephen King. I'm so excited. (laughs) And then next week on October 3rd, Dan Brown has a new book coming out origin. And there's not really much you need to say about that. It's a new Robert Langdon novel, and it's coming out next week. And definitely get that one onto your onto your reading lists. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of people at Book Riot who are very excited about the new Dan Brown, including Rebecca and Jeff. So... <laughs> All right. Um, So now we can talk about what we've recently read and what we'll be starting soon. Um, So I'm super excited to talk about this. I read Bluebird, Bluebird by Ada Kalak. And guys, it's great. I mean, (laughs) to the shock of no one, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So in this one, you are uh, following a character who was going to become a lawyer. Things happen and he ends up uh, going back home to Texas and becoming a Texas Ranger. and guys, Ada Kalak is just such a good writer. Um, there are so many things that happen in this book that I don't want to get into for obvious reasons because spoilers. And I think it's just kind of fun to see how the story unfolds for itself. But I think one of my favorite things about Ada Kalak is that she creates really, really complex characters. Um, I think every character in here falls into the gray area. Like there are very obvious bad people in this story but the good people are also not great people either like they make a lot of mistakes and they make a lot of poor choices and just watching them sort of wrestle with that uh is really interesting um this is also a book set in present day and it's very and the main character is black and a lot of uh, what's happening in the story is uh has to deal with racial tension because um the main character is called into a small town um, because there was a black man found in the river. And then I think it's like a couple of days later, there's a white woman found in the river. And so when the black man was found, the local law enforcement wasn't really moving very quickly. Uh, But then when the white woman was found, they are suddenly more interested in what's happening in the area. Um, And so there's some racial tension that's happening because it is a small town in Texas. Um, But the great thing that I also really like is that Attica Locke herself is from Texas. So she doesn't like demonize people who are like from the South or who live in small towns or anything like that. She very much uh, just is aware of the complications that exist in these small towns and is willing to explore it and discuss it in a way that I think provides uh perspective for like people like me who live in Chicago and have always like lived in the north and things like that and don't necessarily understand everything that's happening in these small towns um but yeah I if you like Attica Locke definitely pick up this book I think Cutting Season is still my all-time favorite of hers but this one is probably second right now in terms of the books that she's written um and if you haven't picked up Attica Locke yet do it as soon as possible uh her books are fantastic she's such a great great writer Um, And then the other one that I finished that I'll just talk about really quickly was The Child Finder by Renee Denfeld, which I also talked about last week. Um, This book was good. It's not my favorite from hers. She wrote The Enchanted a couple of years ago, and that was literally my favorite book that I read that year. This one doesn't quite live up to that standard. Uh, But Renee Denfeld works as a private investigator. She's worked as a prison investigator, and she's worked um, on a bunch of different cases. And this follows a character named Natalie who is uh, basically a child finder. Like she works as a private investigator who works with families who have lost like one of their children. Um, And so she is brought into this case of this young girl in Oregon who 
is gone like missing in the woods and the parents want to find out what happened to her um i will definitely say that if you have um triggers for like abuse or like specifically like child related abuses um don't pick up this book renee denfeld isn't descriptive in terms of that stuff but she definitely like hints at things that happen and she like sort of talks around certain situations so i don't know if it's necessarily going to be triggering for people but just a warning on that front um but renee denfeld provides a lot of like hope and love in those sort of situations that I think a lot of times like those stories can obviously get really really dark Um, but I think that since Renee Dunfeld works in the field and she has experience with even just like foster kids and different sort of situations like that um, she's able to also provide sort of like uh, light into those situations that are normally seen as really dark Um, so again that was The Child Finder by Renee Denfeld. Um, and then in terms of what I'm going to be starting, I'm not really sure. I'm never really sure what I'm going to be starting, but some of the options that I'm thinking about um, are American Fire by Monica Hess, which we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. It's a true crime story. Um, I think I'm going to pick that up between now and the next time we record. And then the other one is one that I recently got from the library and it's Wife of Gods by Quay Corte. Hopefully I said that correctly. Um, this is a detective story that takes place in Ghana, which sounds really interesting to me. I always like sort of picking up these mysteries that take place in other countries. Um, and you are following this detective who lives in sort of Ghana's capital city. And then he's ordered by his boss to leave his wife and son uh, to head to this sort of like small town to uh, investigate the death of a young murder st- a medical student who was murdered um, or he was found dead under suspicious circumstances. So yeah, that's one. I don't even remember how I heard about this writer, probably Book Riot. <laughs> At this point, I feel like all the time that I hear about a new book, it's through Book Riot somehow. Um, but yeah, I'll, hopefully I'll have that one read relatively soon and I can tell you guys whether or not to pick it up. All right. So yeah, my I haven't really finished a whole lot of books recently, so I'm kind of twisting mine a little bit. I did recently visit a used book sale at a nearby public library. They have one every year and it's like my it's like my own personal Christmas. I love it there. And I picked up a few um, a few mysteries that I have not read yet, but I am excited to uh, to get to hopefully in the near future. So I thought I'd talk about those really quick. Um, I picked up The Truth and Other Lies by Sasha Arango. And this follows a crime writer named Harry Hayden, who whose wife is actually the real author of his best-selling books. And he's kind of, you he's very much this manipulative person who, you know, doesn't want to face the consequences of his actions. And you learn from the, from the blurb on the, on inside the book jacket, he has a kind of a hidden in plain sight mistress who gets pregnant. His wife meets an untimely death. And then he crafts this web of lies to keep his, to keep like this mask from slipping so that the world doesn't discover the true person. So it sounds, it sounds very much like, in the vein of the dinner by Herman Cook, or the kind of like a talented Mr. Ripley type of book, which I'm I'm all about. I love those types of stories, so I am excited to read that one. I also picked um, well before I go into the next one again. That was the Truth and Other Lies by Sasha Arango, and then I also picked up the book Dog on It by Spencer Quinn, which is the first book in the Chet and Bernie series. It's about a, I think it's a private investigator and his dog, and his dog is the one who narrates the book, which I before. Maybe this year I wouldn't have dis- I wouldn't have tried to go for a book like that with a kind of a with a conscious you know intelligent animal narrator, but I'm down with that. Let's and I've heard such good things about this book. Chet is is the like I said he's the dog sidekick, the narrator of the, of the novel, and he's also a failed police dog academy graduate, which I just think is adorable. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> So I, yeah, this is something I probably wouldn't have picked up, you know, this to maybe this time last year, but I'm excited to try something new. And again, that is Dog on It by Spencer Quinn. 
And I picked up Dragonfish by Vu Tran, which I have heard so many good things about from the Book Riot people. It's a very, very much a noir type of mystery. There's an Oakland cop who investigates the mysterious disappearance of his ex-wife, which leads him into the Vietnamese underworld of smuggling and gambling set in Las Vegas, which just sounds bananas. And again, not... Not a novel I necessarily would have picked up before, but I've heard so many good things about it that I decided that I had to have a copy of that for myself. So again, that's Dragonfish by Vu Tran. And then finally, um, I am actually currently reading this book. This is The Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino, who, again... I've I, he he's always nominated for an Edgar Award every time he has a book come out, and in this one, the there's a few different characters. There's a woman named Yasuko who is a divorced single mother who ends up killing her abusive ex-husband. That is not a spoiler. That is you know that that happens very early in the book. So, you know if if, if real quickly if that is you know if that is a trigger. It it doesn't go into huge into huge details, at least not so far. But you know, if that's a trigger, you know, just just be wary of that. And after she kills him, she realizes that her soft spoken neighbor I- Ishigami, she realizes that he has heard the whole the kerfuffle, so to speak. He's heard it through their shared wall, and he comes over and he helps her cover up the crime. He helps her dispose of the body. He helps her figure out what she's going to say to the police when this ultimately gets out, and he helps her craft a plan. And then the third character in this is the, is Detective Kusanagi, who is brought in to solve the crime. And so it's really interesting because you know what happened, you know who killed the guy, and you know that someone's helping this woman cover it up. And then you're also seeing the detective as he tries to put together what happened. Um, so I kind of like, I guess kind of like Columbo in a way, like, you know, who kills the person and then you're watching as the, as the detective, you know, kind of figures it out. And so it's kind of brought into this, you know, it's this, it's this big battle of wits that everyone who has reviewed the book says it's just really, really intelligent. So that is The Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. And these are hopefully going to be read at some point in the next few months. I will say it's been a long time since I've heard someone reference Columbo. So that gave me some delight. (laughs) (sighs) All right. (laughs) So that's our show. Um, Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, If you are interested in, you know, the Bill Clinton, James Patterson news, or you want to check out the Miss Fisher Kickstarter, or uh, we'll also have a link to the blog post. You can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, you can check out the show notes um, over there as well as all of the books that we've mentioned on the podcast will also be linked over there as well. If you've enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover our podcast and hopefully they will enjoy it themselves. Um, if you want to talk to to us about the Miss Fisher Kickstarter or any of these books or any of these stories, um, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Rincey A. And I am at KT underscore Library Lady. All right. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.